Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. That's right, boys and girls. You know where you are, and you should know who this is. This is Tyler Chef, and I am the co-host of the Cashflow Guys Podcast. I've got Mike Marino with me today. Howdy, co-host. Hey, co-host. I, uh, I'm done flying for a while. Time to get back in the real estate mode, so I'm glad to be talking. I can see you're in your Unibomber cabin. I'm in my Unibomber cabin. <laughs> I, there's something about it, man. The little man cave thing. You know, yeah. I always used to joke about it, but it is true. I've been I, trying to tell you. I took you. Yeah, you've been in my office over at my Tarpon Springs property, right? Yeah. Yeah. See, that's where I worked for years. Cashflow Guys was born in that room. It, it's that's literally a man cave. Yeah. You lock the door and it's just my little castle i love it that's right i had my beer fridge back when i drank beer i have my my gun cabinet in there i've got my books it's like you wouldn't even know i lived in one of the apartments at one time because all the cool stuff was in my man cave (laughs) yeah yeah and so my last house when i was in fort collins my office was the second bedroom which i think a lot of our listeners can can appreciate this when your office is in the same house where you live yeah it's very distracting it it doesn't feel like, like here, I come to my, my little office shed. That's what it is. I feel like I'm in a different universe. It, everything is feels fresh to me. I can concentrate here. But when you're in an office in your house, you don't get that uh, liberation almost. It's a mind liberation. It's not the same sense. Um, I agree. Like my creative juices are much better out here in the cabin uh, with the dog hanging out with me. I, I don't know. My Key West office was awesome for that because there were no windows, number one, therefore no distractions. It was admittedly the size of a laundry closet, but that's okay because it was just me. I don't bring clients to my office even when I'm playing realtor. Uh, I usually meet them at whatever they're going to buy. And these days, most of the things I do is done virtually. So yeah, and being up here at the cabin, like right now I'm up here by myself at my, at my, my little cabin in the woods. And I absolutely love the fact that it is, for the time being, absolutely quiet, which means no hawks have flown by, no frogs are chirping. It's perfect podcast environment. Now I've jinxed myself. But I can sit up here distraction-free, except for literally the squirrels distract me. I mean, that's (laughs) a good thing. It's like, oh, look at all the squirrels. (laughs) That's an ADD thing, yeah? Right. Yeah, if anybody's on YouTube right now, that's that's not a fake background on his No, that's my actual backyard. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's it's wild there. In my screen room in my backyard. I just found it interesting that we're both in in uh in buildings that are down that are bare studs. Mike and I've been doing a lot of improvements lately. <laughs> Mike's built in a man cave out in Colorado. See, there's the bird chirping. Mike's building himself a man cage in Colorado, and of course I've had this for a couple of years now, so absolutely love it. So guys, this week we're gonna talk about what it's like to be a confused investor. I don't know about y'all, but I every time I turn on YouTube, and I, I'll admit it's been less and less lately, I even get confused at some of the stuff that's going on. You really don't know who to believe, what to listen to, if anybody's predictions even make sense or are logical. Uh, and I've, I, mean, I watch a host of people, uh, Ken McElroy, Robert Kiyosaki, uh, what are some of the others? Joe Brown, Heresy Financial. Uh, Stephen Gardner is where I get my news. Mike, what are some of the channels that you watch as well? Uh, what, what is that? Silver stacking? Yeah. Yankee stacking. Yankee stacking, yeah. For gold and silver. Yeah, That's right. There's a lot of mixed messages right now, Mike. I'm here, you know, I did a little post on Facebook the other day. 
I get Google News as an app I have on my phone, and I opened it up, and it basically had uh, Wall Street Journal's basically saying that there was no or that there was no recession. And then CNN, or no, I'm sorry, Wall Street Journal is saying, though, there absolutely is a recession. And meanwhile, uh, the opposite, it was Fox Business or somebody was saying, oh, no, everything's fine. These folks, nobody can think that there's, they say narrative. Generally, for those of you listening, a narrative is when everybody's on the same page for a certain level of belief. That is not 2023 in America. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's complete opposite. And uh, this topic kind of came up because I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about food and big pharma and big right. food. And uh, this one guy, I forgot the doctor's name, who worked for Coca-Cola, and he said it was the it was legit the purpose of the big ag companies to confuse the public, to confuse the those in Congress making decisions about where money flows in regards to exactly what is healthy. Like right now, you ask people, "Hey, is a calorie a calorie a calorie? Sugar calorie versus a, you know, a Jolly Rancher versus an apple?" Right. Some people would say, "Oh, it's just calories. Calories the same." But there's so many different perspectives, and that we hear all the time. We have a confused mind, right? So when people have a confused mind, number one, don't go anywhere. And unfortunately, True. I think that's a lot of problems right now with uh, investing in general, not just real estate. Uh, look, like you said, the recession, the stock market, people literally are not doing anything because they're so confused. They're hearing the left, the right, the up and down, all these perspectives. Uh, and it's, it's unfortunate because those who are confused and don't act, I feel that if something bad happens, recession, those are the ones that are going to be hit the first. They are. They absolutely are. I like what you said about markets constantly changing. And here's the thing. Markets are supposed to change. That's what the re and pe- people see this as a reason not to do something. Well, I don't know what's going to happen with the housing market. I don't know what's going to happen with the stock market. I don't know if I should invest in bonds. Well, uh, in marketing, they say everything works, nothing doesn't. The one thing I can guarantee you is that if you do absolutely nothing, you are absolutely guaranteed to lose money. That's right. That's a guarantee. And that's because that nasty inflation, right? Inflation is here to stay. I don't think it's going away because what's happening right now in this country is that we are all being conditioned to accept $3 plus a gallon for gasoline. And we could say, oh, then we're going to go get our electric car and it'll be free. Nope. There are only a few places in America that you can get free. Go plug in a lot of the government agencies. You can go plug your Tesla in and you'd be good to go if you go there to their parking lot. But then you're stuck at the government agency. Who the hell wants to be there? So that's not even free you it's very difficult to stay on task of what you should be doing because no matter how many people you ask everybody's got an opinion uh i have started focusing less on trends and news when it comes down to what i do with my money and investing and the reason for that is i feel that everybody that's giving me the news is on some form of commission that's right i'm one of the few realtors in town that's that says you should not Don't buy a house right now if you're going to move into it. That doesn't make good financial sense unless you're in a market where it's so ridiculous to rent. You buying a house, Mike, made sense because of the market that you're buying in. The alternative would have been you'd be sleeping in your van down by the river, literally, because rentals are just non-existent in your market. Same thing in Key West. Um, You got to really think about how do I get that peace and quiet? 
But buying a home, Mike, what I love about you, what your mindset was, is that you didn't buy your home for an investment. You, you, you're smarter than that. You realize that you bought a home to have consistency so that you're parked in a town that you want to be in. And most importantly, you have relative complete control over your costs. You've got a fixed rate uh, mortgage, used a VA loan that you didn't have to pay a funding fee, and, and you were able to get a great deal. You negotiated tens of thousands of dollars off the purchase price. That's a home run, and that makes sense. But the people that I see that are buying, buying into different investment ideas, thinking time is going to solve things, it's not necessarily the case. Thoughts on that? You're right. Time is not going to solve things. If anything, the... Yes, but we're hearing mixed messages all the time, but the mixed messages are threatening a negative downturn. The happy times are, might not be here again for a while. And in that aspect, like you said, I think it's important to at least cap your, um, your loss. You know, like I did, I I bought the the cheapest house in the nicest neighborhood. I probably, I probably could have rented. But if I rented, I felt like I could possibly be a victim to uh, negative downturn, uh, increase in rentals. Uh, I'm no longer in control. So no matter what, you're hearing conflicting views. Find something that you, like you said, you have control of. You can maintain consistency. So you can only go up. You limit your your down. And in effect, it's almost risk mitigation when you think of it that way. This is where I think it's important for people to consider when you don't know what to do, revert back to basics. Yeah. Here's what I mean. Up here at the cabin, I intentionally do things old school. I use cast iron skillets to cook. What that means is it takes me longer to cook something on a cast iron skillet because I use lower temperature than it does on one of these fancy uh, emerald pans you buy at uh, Walmart or an Instagram feed, right? But at the end of the day, the end result of the uh, is epic. When I buy that frying pan, it'll last forever. That's back to basics. Back to basics in the stock market would be buying blue chip stock. And some of you are scoffing at that, even the thought of that. But here's the thing. It is possible to invest in the stock market and not lose a penny ever. And that generally means buying blue tip, blue chip stocks that are long run companies, Coca-Cola. Um, I would have said Anheuser-Busch until recent because who knows that would happen. But uh, most of your your big brands that have been around for a long time, Johnson and Johnson, that makes medical equipment, uh, long term prescription manufacturers, maybe not the ones that are selling the latest uh, truth serum, but the ones that are selling, you know, making things like aspirin. Squibb is one of them, big manufacturer of aspirin and ibuprofen and things like that. These companies are going to be around for a long time. Will you make gajillions of dollars off of these investments? No. But what you will do in most cases is you'll outpace inflation, or at least hopefully you'll outpace inflation. Every time you do a transaction in the stock market, you incur fees. If you buy a stock, you're paying a fee. If you sell a stock, you're paying a fee. When you're doing real estate, you're paying lots of fees. Even if you don't use a realtor, you're still paying for title insurance. You're still paying closing costs, loan fees. All these extra things start adding up. Does that mean you stay out of these things? No. But what it does mean is that when you get confused, go back to basics. Oh, I don't know how to make money in real estate. Well, I bet you if you buy a property that costs you, let's say, a thousand a month and you rent it for more than a thousand a month. And when I say costs you, that's all the costs. That's everything electric bill, vacancy, loss, the whole nine yards. 
if it costs you $1,000 a month to control it and it makes you, it brings in $1,200 a month in rent, that's $200 a month pocket that you can sleep well at night knowing that you're in good shape. Oh, but Tyler, there's this. Oh, but Tyler, there's that. Well, markets and situations change every second, every minute. There's nothing that's ever going to stop that. Okay. So we can't use the feeling or the threat of change to hold us back. The difference between the wealthy and everybody else is that they're more focused on what can go, what can go right versus what can go wrong. And I've, Mike, been victim of, I, I tend to be very conservative when it comes to my investing. I don't, I'm very, uh, I'm at the age now, I'm 53 years old. I can't, I, I'm resistant to throw caution to the wind when it comes to investing my money, which is why I've chosen to invest in myself through the fund and whatnot, because at least then I have an out, I have control over the outcome. Uh, but guys, if change is part of it, holding you back for investing, you're going to buckle up buttercup because change is something you can count on. Yeah. Uh, Mike, let's touch, touch on the different types of investments that are available and go from there. Yeah, that's another thing. You know, now with social media, with YouTube and everything, before all that, everything was pretty vanilla, right? You had stocks, you had mutual funds, you had bonds, you had real estate. But now we're getting bombarded with all these different like subgroups types of investing, which honestly, to myself, I think that's a tremendous opportunity. But for most who are not, you know, you have a W-2 job, you don't have a uh, the full time to really research all of these, it's very confusing. And I think that, again, the confused mind says no. The confused right. mind says, I'm just going to keep the status quo. I'm going to work my nine to five. However, you know, Tyler, we always talk about look outside, look at what's going on in the market. Even though when people are crying about it, people are yelling at the president about, all right, we, you talked about EVs, about the EV incentive, right? Uh, it sounds bad. People don't like it. But you know what? How do you take advantage of it for your own personal benefit? Does it sound selfish? Yeah. Do you need to be selfish? Yes, you do. You need to be selfish in the world else you wouldn't be listening to this podcast. So right. with all these different types of investing, I would like our listeners to think about what is your specialty in life? Whether you're an electrician, you're a plumber, you know, an airline pilot. Uh, my fiance is a nurse practitioner, for example, right? She's not involved in investing, but what does she hear? She sees all of her MAs, medical assistants, uh, there's a high turnover rate because they can't afford to live in this town. So sounds like a negative thing. Oh, we feel bad for them. Wait a minute. That might be an opportunity. What if you totally. can provide uh, some type of, of rental, maybe a co-living arrangement? You know their salary, so now they can stay in their town. They can continue working for your company, your firm, or whatnot. Everybody's happy, and now you profit. So with all these different types of investing, yes, it's confusing, but sometimes you have to put your blinders on and say, what am I good at? What do I specifically know? And now how can I profit off that? I mean, that, that's what I did with the whole uh, government-sponsored van business that I had because I saw a problem. I saw, oh, I can use government for it. And a lot of people say, oh, but Mike, you didn't make too much money on that. I didn't make too much. I got a free van out of it. I didn't make a million dollars out of it. No, but there's nothing wrong with starting small. And myself as a W-2 uh, worker, there's nothing wrong with having multiple side hustles. In fact, I think that's a positive thing. I think a little opposite in that regard. 
I guess it really depends on what you're putting into it. I see people that side hustle themselves into poverty, and I see other people that side hustle themselves into wealth. The constructive differences between the two is whether or not they employ team members to help them yes. leverage their time. For example, for you, when you're in work mode, you're in work mode. You're, you're flying planes. You're 15 days a month or whatever it is that you're flying. You're out of pocket. You're there. What you choose to do with your time during your flight time is drastically different than what it is when you're not flying. Like right now, you're not in flight mode. You are very good at compartmentalizing what you need to get done so that everything gets done, managing the fund and the whole nine yards. That's never been an issue. But that said, you are also the exception. Uh, I think a lot of folks, not many people can do as well as you can multitasking or managing several different tasks. However, I think not to take away from your how good you are at things, but a lot of the reasons you're able to accomplish things is that you've built a team to help you. Everywhere you go, you've got other folks in the mix and you're basically working as the puppet master, which is the, in the, really the perfect solution. Uh, so it helps you manage different things. You got the, the fund, the crash pads, your pilot job. It all works out because you're not going at it alone. Those of you sitting at home listening to this right now, it's likely if you haven't got very far is that you're the person that thinks that you're not either you don't have the money to pay help, which is not the case because what you're doing should be for profit. And if it's not, there's your first problem to solve. Um, and number two, if you decide to hire someone that makes 50,000 a year, you don't have to pay them 50,000 on the first day they go to work. You have to pay them whatever the first weeks or two weeks pay is two weeks from now. So maybe start compartmentalizing it a little differently and thinking about what you're going to be doing. Mike, when you have cleaners come by your crash pads, you're not handing them a year's salary on the first time they do a cleaning. No. You're handing them a couple hundred bucks and then you'll see them the next time. Uh, misinformation is something I want to bring up, guys. I, I see a lot of this. And sometimes they that is interpreted to in inflating numbers and whatnot. I see this a lot with wholesalers. I see it with realtors. Oh, it'll it'll rent for $180,000 a year. No, no, it won't. Not ever will it rent for that. Here's a good example. I have a property right now. I'm getting ready to list. It makes, I looked at the appraisal. It appraised for $850,000. And if you look at the comparable sales in the neighborhood, comparable sales tell a very different story. The difference is the appraiser used the income method or what's commonly referred to as the debt service coverage ratio loan to determine using the gross rent multiplier, which is basically a sampling of market rents for a house like that in the market, what its value is, should be based on the income method. And the property appraised based on income at $8,500 or $850,000. The comps, again, tell a very different story, but it isn't all about comps because here's the most important thing. The appraiser used, I believe, around $5,000 in income to come up to a valuation monthly income, $5,000 in monthly income to come up with an $850,000 valuation. At my first glance, I was like, that's garbage. But when I dug into it and started looking at his rent comps, I'm like, oh, this is actually legit. And he only used annual rentals as rent comps. This is a big house. It sleeps 16 people. It's got a swimming pool, big corner yard, nice house. And I started thinking about it. I'm like, well, if he used five, six grand a month as long-term income, imagine how this thing would perform as a short-term rental, even managed poorly. The answer is it would do really well. Five grand a month, six grand a month for a short-term rental isn't rocket science and something that sleeps 16 people. 
the right management team can easily increase that number. How much really depends on the manager, depends on the investment market is located in and what type of clientele you're working on. But there's a perfect example of had we had comparable sales been the only driver of value, we would have a completely different story uh, to tell versus using the income method. That's how a lot of these people are buying these these Airbnb or vacation rental type properties and able to get them done, sometimes with no money down. If you guys ever thought about investing in a property, maybe even in Florida, this thing will be listed here in the next week. Um, it's an exciting opportunity. The cash on cash return is going to be massive, um, especially if you can if you if you came into this thing cash, it's a home run. It's in a great neighborhood. But uh, when it comes down to misinformation, that's a strong one. Because I do believe in a lot of cases there's misinformation. Wholesalers, well, the nature of what they do is they're paid to lie. That's what they do. They they guess at the rehab numbers. They don't get a contractor quotes. ARV is laughable. They'll pull comps from one side of St. Louis and they're analyzing a property in Texas. Um, you can't, but the thing is, is that your job as investors, guys, is not to even consider other people's information. Instead, go back to basics. Pick up the phone, you call landlords, you find out how much their place is renting for that just rented. You go on apartments.com, you find out how much apartments are running for. I don't even care if you're investing in a syndicate. You're investing in a, an apartment syndicate. Know what market rents are for the area. Forget about the slideshow that, that they're putting on because that's all fluff. Double check those rents. Even us, you're looking for commercial property. Like we're doing, uh, we're going to be renting to ALF owners. Figure out how much an ALF generates in gross profit and compare that to our rent. These ALFs, in some cases, make $6,000 a bed. If I got 10 beds, that's $60,000 a month. No, that's not our rent coming to us. But when the operator's making $60,000 a month, is it reasonable to believe that twelve dollars to $14,000 a month in revenue is possible? Absolutely it is. That's why this, for our strategy, this has become viable. Thoughts on that, Mike? Yeah. Again, in regards to the misinformation and like we're doing uh, assisted living homes, you know, uh, mom is in a walker. She needs some help. Uh, the the sons and the daughters, they're out working. So she's in an assisted living home. We've got 24-hour nursing care, good food by a chef or whatnot, a nice place to be. So yes, you're confused, but think about your own life. For example, uh, well, Tyler and I, we, we both have parents that are soon, could be in a position where they're going to need such assistance at an assisted living home itself. So now we can put the blinders on to exactly what we know. We know mom needs help. We know mom has insurance. We know I will pay anything for my mother to be happy the last few years of her life so she can have assistance. Just like, you know, just like stock investing, right? Let's say you just absolutely love uh, Coors Light. I don't. I'm in Colorado, but I don't. Absolutely love Coors Light. And you can see all your buddies going to Coors Light. It's an example, right? Just your little micro uh, trends. You could see it yourself. You don't have to be bombarded by misinformation. As a stock investor, you might want to invest in Coors Light because you see something you think most people don't. It's the same thing with real estate investing. Tyler and I, we could see our parents aging. They're going to need an assisted living home. Well, it obviously, it makes sense for us because we're kind of in that world. It's not a, a distant, a foreign idea to us. And we can see the local trends uh, that will work. Just like, you know, a few years ago, Airbnb, right? Uh, Salida, Key West. Oh, th this would be a great place. 
I can see people moving in at that micro scale. You don't have to go to YouTube and see what's trending in Iowa or California and think, oh, that's a good idea. Think about what do you know? What do you see in your own town? And invest in that because that's the most that's the best research I think you could possibly do. Not going online, but literally walking around city council meetings. We keep talking about city council meetings. That's a huge opportunity for research to fine tune this, all this information. Let me get the facts right here in my own town and what will be profitable. That's right. When it comes down to research, guys, be specific, be intentional with your research. If you're deciding, like, let's say you want to buy mobile homes on their own land and rent them out, then you need to go find mobile homes on their own land that are being rented out or, or are for rent to be crystal clear on what market rent is. Don't compare an apartment complex or a single family, two bedroom, one bath house on 10 acres to the mobile home sitting in a little postage stamp lot. Do your own due diligence and get granular with it. It's going to take a slurry of phone calls, emails, uh, snail mail if need be, to get some feedback from people to figure out what is what you're doing to see if what you're doing is viable, see if it makes sense in the marketplace. It's funny when we, we Mike and I have been employing ChatGPT to help us a lot as far as what's trending, what people want to hear about. And it helps put our, put our thoughts into logical template. So when we were doing this episode, we asked ChatGPT some questions like, what are the challenges of investing? What makes it confusing? How do you solve these problems and whatnot? And I find it's interesting in this next way. I want to segue into this. One of the responses when asked the question, okay, we see all these issues that we just talked about. How do you overcome them, right? What is the resolution? It's great to talk about the problem, but the whole idea here and the reason for this podcast is we need to figure out ways to avoid this so we don't make those same mistakes, right? We don't want to make the same mistakes uh, over and over again. So one of the responses came back with, speak to a financial advisor. Guys, oh, here we go. I could go off for hours on this topic. I'm not going to go off on tower hours on this topic, but this is how lazy people lose money. In fact, yep, I said it. This is how lazy people lose money. Well, Tyler, they're going to know if buying Coca-Cola stock makes sense. No, they're not. No, they're not. Because they have access to the same information that you have. And the question you have to ask yourselves is, can you prove to yourself that they are leveraging all this data and that truly they have the information. And a great way of finding that out is starting to ask them some questions. How long have you been a financial advisor? Do you own or rent your home? How many cars do you own? Have any vacation homes? What you'll probably find is the answer to most of those questions is nope. And then a lot of cases, the financial advisor, quote unquote, don't even advise themselves clearly because they have not achieved any level of wealth yet in their life. A great example of that, I heard somebody talking about one the other day. Guy's 26 years old. He's a financial advisor. Well, how much money is he making? Where's his own balance sheet? I'm curious what qualifies him uh, to be a financial advisor or her. And in most cases, the answer to that question is passing some sort of state licensing or federal licensing program. So I guess, Mike, if you and I took a financial advisor course, we can now start giving financial advice. The biggest joke about this, and then I'll get off my soapbox, is that we're supposed to say, this is not financial advice. This is for educational purposes only. But if I go take a 40-hour course <laughs> endorsed by the federal government, then suddenly I can tell you all kinds of bullshit ideas. And it doesn't matter whether they work or not. I'm now protected. 
Because Thoughts? she took a multiple choice test. Yeah, of course. Why not? That's right. Which ChatGPT will take for you, by the way. Oh gosh, that's right. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I remember uh, when I was when I was still in Florida. My neighbor was a financial advisor. Nice guy. He was about twenty seven years old, and he drove a beat up Saturn. And he was complaining to me. He's like, Mike, I don't know if I can afford this fix anything. I'm like, but you're a financial planner, so why don't you know? Why don't you invest in what you advise? He's like, I. It doesn't really work that way. What? Why doesn't it work that way? What do you mean? <laughs> tell me why it doesn't work that way. <laughs> Come on, tell me, tell me, tell me. I can tell you now because they're no longer, well, I've paid off all the in, the investments with these folks over the years, but for many, many years, I would say almost annually, at least one financial advisor invests with me in cash flow guys. Not necessarily in the fund. I have other investment opportunities. Uh, outside of the fund as well, but they, that, and I asked the question, I got to ask the question. I can't help it. So I'm curious, why are you not investing in wall street products? One guy told me he thinks it's a conflict of interest. Really? <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I guess the good news is that at least the people that invested with me were good enough at being a financial planner, or maybe they're good enough salespeople to have a nest egg to invest in the first place. That's one way of thinking of it, but I'm not necessarily believing that's the case. <laughs> I think they're better salesmen than they are an investor or they wouldn't need me. Yeah. And like we, like we just mentioned, like my neighbor, why would you get advice, financial advice from a poor person for you to be rich? Well, Mike, we go to college and, and learn from professors that have never mastered the craft that they're trying to teach you. Isn't it ridiculous? When you went to engineering school, Mike, that professor probably made 50 grand a year. What's oh, the first year salary for a, a decent engineer in today's world? Oh, geez. Now it's probably around 90. Okay. Yeah. So why, pray tell, would somebody choose to teach engineering <laughs> at 50,000 when if they were average at engineering, they could make 90? <laughs> right. It, it, that it is makes, college. It makes no sense, which is why I like to flip this around, right? What if instead of speaking to a financial advisor, you do what the uber wealthy do and they have, they speak to their financial friends. I mean, yes. that's why you see a lot of wealthy people at golf clubs, at yacht clubs. It's not because they just love to golf. Well, that might be a little bit part of it, but the main reason is because they want to have that conversation, that social aspect with people who are either equal to them. Or, or above them. They want to get that connection there, people with other money, uh, th those financial friends. Absolutely. That's, that's what those clubs are all about. Even, even Toastmasters, you know, Tyler and I were in Toastmasters to be better speakers, which I absolutely loved. But I noticed that more so than becoming a better speaker, I gained a lot more networking connections there than anywhere else. And that's much more valuable financially than a financial advisor. Absolutely. And I know this is tough to hear, guys, and I, and I deal with this myself. I struggle with this myself personally. I have some great friends that are just not fiscally savvy. But, you know, part of that is I'm okay with that because I don't need everybody in my life to be financially savvy. But, I, but with that, I just choose not to discuss anything financial with them. I have other friends that are well outperforming I am, way overperforming me, and I thrive off of those relationships because I learn from them. It doesn't mean that I can't have relationships with people that are that don't earn what I earn or, or underperform, 
I have great, amazing, loyal friends that just simply don't make much money, but they don't complain about it either. They're happy doing what they're doing. Life is good for them. They're good people, and I'm fine with that. But when I want to step up my game, I will intentionally go spend time around people that make me work harder, to make mm -hmm. me think clearer, to really step up my game. Yeah, uh, I, I do that intentionally, and it has changed the game for me. Again, don't you don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but do include people that are performing at a high, higher level in your circle. And the next question you probably have before we wrap up is, Tyler, how do I go about doing that? Mike, you nailed it on the head when you said you can get involved in other things, things like Toastmasters. Who goes to Toastmasters? People that want to improve themselves. You see, people that are complacent, they don't want to improve themselves. That's the nature of why they're complacent. And, you know, hey, to, to each his own. But that means that you, if you want to be the person that improves, you have to intentionally go surround yourself with other people that want to improve, no matter what level you're on. I would rather be around a room of dirt poor people that are sick and tired of being dirt poor and will do whatever it takes legally and ethically to get out of their situation than I ever would some middle-class person that thinks they've got it all figured out when in reality they're going broke. Yeah. And Any I'll parting like thoughts add, on that, Mike? I'd, I'd like to add a very sensitive topic, and it's uh -oh. going to make Tyler turn beet red. <laughs> Go ahead. Tyler, do you think you would be in your current financial position if you were still with your first wife? Absolutely not by any stretch of the imagination. Why? Poverty mindset. She was a victim. Everything was her fault. Okay, here goes the podcast. This is going to be an hour-long diatribe. No, it's kidding. serious because it's the same thing as a financial friend, financial advisor is the you're person right. you're with most of the day. It looking back, there is no way I would have achieved anything because she was always she was very focused on settling. She was all about just do the minimum and everything and everything will be fine. She believes that her government will take care of her. You know, that's her logic. She has poor person's mindset. Uh, she doesn't think in abundance, which is probably the bigger, bigger piece of it. She doesn't think in abundance. She thinks in scarcity. Uh, and for me, that alone doesn't align. But yeah, I, I wouldn't have, I probably would have got sucked into that. I could see that happening it, because this, her circle of friends, same situation, which is why one of the reasons I divorced her. Yeah. I bring it up because I, I feel in our society, that's a major point. If the significant yes. other is not on the same financial track, I mean, Jill, Jill doesn't have to be this uh, mega realtor or mega investor, but as long as she understands and and pushes you to your goals and accomplishes, you know, helps you accomplish that, that's what you're looking for. Absolutely. Jill not only is a major contributor to what I accomplish in every single way, but more importantly, she's a major supporter of it. She doesn't say no. She just lets me do what I need to do, and she trusts me. I mean, how many marriages can I can someone go out and buy property without even so much as involving the other party? I've done that on several occasions. Uh, that's the trust that we have for each other. But to have to find that bond is rare. A lot of people listen to this podcast right now. They have to check with their spouse or whatever. And there's nothing, there's no shame in that, first of all. The only Jill is a very rare, very amazing individual. There's not a lot of Jills out there. Um, and it's taken many years. I mean, on day one, she wouldn't let me do that. She's not crazy. Uh, we've been together now 17 years. And in 17 years, she's realized that I know what the hell I'm talking about. 
when it comes to buying property. I don't make careless decisions. And frankly, I'm more risk adverse than she is. So that alone makes it easier. Now, had I been with a scaredy cat, then I would have gone nowhere. And frankly, my ex-wife was the, was in part one of those scaredy cats or, or she had the belief that as long as you could finance it, you could afford it. <laughs> and we all know how that works out. So, yeah. Guys, I know we covered a lot on this on this topic because the topic is huge, really. It Why is. investors are so confused. Uh, if you're interested to get the cliff notes, a lot of the things we talked about today, uh, you can go on cashflowguys.com. You click on learn. And one of the top options is a cashflow guys cliff notes. So every yes. other week, not you know, it could be bombarded weekly, but every other week, you're going to get a little cliff notes of a lot of things. We actually, the topics we talked about today, get a little little summary of it. So if you don't have time to listen to all these podcasts, because Tyler, we're after what? Maybe close to 400. Yeah, it's coming up close soon. Yeah. D- subscribe to that. You'll get that in your inbox. It's all like 300 words or less, about a two-minute read to get those cliff notes of all 400 episodes we've been talking about. I, I, I put it together. I'm pretty proud because a lot of people don't have the time to listen to all these episodes, and you get a lot of these good tips that we mentioned uh, in right. your email box. That's right. All right, guys, we're going to leave it right there. Uh, You know the drill. You can take action, you can make change, and you can have an amazing 2023, but that all begins and ends with you getting off the couch and taking some action. You're out of excuses. We're keeping it as simple as we possibly can. You heard the episode, you heard the the benefits, and you, you don't have to be confused. There are some basic steps that we talked about in this episode that will help unclog the brain, help get you moving in the right direction. We want to see you get financially free, and we hope you take us along. Uh, with you on your journey. Guys, have a great week and we will catch up with you next time. This concludes today's episode. You don't have to wait till the next episode to learn to earn. Head over to cashflowguys.com and contact Tyler and his team for more powerful tips and ideas so you can start generating multiple streams of income and escape the rat race.